0: thinking wow last message of the new year we're going to the book of job <coughs> we are and here's why as I was uh, praying and I was actually driving in my car I was just kind of like lord you know where where do you want us to be this week you, normally I'm just going on to the next chapter which so it's a little bit uncomfortable for me to be in a place to say well what are we going to do this week lord and it was almost immediate the word came to me job and I said well Hey, Lord, why do you want us to go to Job? And it seems like kind of a downer to end the year on um, when, you know, I think most people, most pulpits are probably going to be on, hey, the best is yet to come. Let's ring out the old, ring in the new, Uh, you know, positive mental thinking and all those kinds of things. But the the word that I felt that I was hearing from the Lord as I began to ponder, well, what's Job about? And especially those first two chapters, which is what we're going to look at this morning was around the issue of being prepared for what lies ahead. And the issue is in reality, none of us ever knows what lies ahead, do we? None of us ever knows what a day is going to bring. And then the question becomes how do we as as Christians, as Bible believing and hopefully spirit-filled Christians how do we live in a state of preparedness for what the next thing is that's around the corner for us? And as I began to ponder that, I really believe the Holy Spirit was saying, this is why the book of Job is so important to us. Because as we consider Job, I think we're going to find out he was not prepared, or maybe he was. I think he, maybe he, he was, but you know, if you think about what he, he encountered, uh, it was certainly at the very least a challenge. Him and his walk with God. So let's uh, look at Job chapter one. Um, let's read this first chapter together, and then we're going to go through it this morning, and then we're going to look a little bit at chapter two as well. There was an, a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were seven thousand sheep. 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Now his sons would go and feast in their houses each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And so it was when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them, And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And the messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabaeans raided them and took them away, indeed they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans have... The Chaldeans have formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young men, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose. Robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshiped and he said naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall shall I return there the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away blessed be the name of the Lord in all this job did not sin nor charge God with wrong Lord again please add your blessing to the reading of your word and as we study it together may you speak by the power of your spirit Bring to each one of us the things that we need to consider. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we consider Job's life and what happened in his life, if you've ever read his story, if you've ever read these first two chapters of the book of Job, then you know that great tragedy struck in Job's life. But before we get there, Let's talk about the man, Job. And in these first few verses here, down to verse 5, we we have what I will term the earthly realm, the place where we live out our lives. And Job was, in a sense, living out his life, minding his own business, doing what God had put before him. Now, as we consider Job and his story, we want to put this in a context. And the context is most people believe that Job was a contemporary, perhaps, of Abraham. That this may be actually the first book of the Bible written, even before the book of Genesis. And that this was, of course, very, very early on in human history. And I think something that we should consider about Job and about Abraham and about those who lived in this time of human history is this there was no Word of God, right? There was no Bible. There was only the word of God that had been revealed to them in some way. And there was a general knowledge of God. And even when we read about Abraham and the early days of, uh, you know, Adam and Eve and then, you know, how the lineage came and the earth was populated through them, there was this awareness of the person and the presence of God. And so they didn't learn about God like we learn about God by picking up this book that we now are so blessed to have, the Bible, the Scriptures. They didn't learn about God by going to church, per se, because there was no church, of course. So how did they learn about God? I, I don't have a good answer for that, but I can tell you this. As we consider the life of Job this morning, this was a man who loved God. Can't we see that here in these, these first five verses? This was a man who loved God. And think about the the light that we have been given. Think about the word that we have been given. And as we consider Job's life and how he responded to the difficulties and the persecutions and the full-blown frontal attack that Satan was granted to bring into his life, think about Job's knowledge and understanding of God and who he was. So first of all, in verse 1, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Do you know what Job's name means? So often we consider these things right in the scriptures. What is the person's name and what does that name mean? Job's name, when translated, means hated one, persecuted, hostile, bummer of a name, huh? What a tough name to be given. And yet, as we read about Job, this was more characteristic, of course, of what happened to him than who he was in his character. In his character, he certainly did not portray himself or act as a man who was hated, persecuted. He certainly was not hostile, and he was not an enemy of people. In fact, it was just the opposite with who he was. And so we're told here that this man, Job, he was blameless and upright. And this is from God's point of view. What a wonderful thing to have God say about you and me that he or she is a blameless and upright person, one who fears God and shuns evil. So that means that that fear of the Lord was a healthy respect for who God was. And when it says that he shunned evil, that means that anything cross in life, that marked of evil, he walked away from it. He shunned it. Not so much condemning those who were evil, but not allowing himself to be polluted by those who were evil or by those things that were evil. I love what Warren Wiersbe said here about the character of Job. He said, people with integrity are whole persons without hypocrisy or duplicity. In the face of his friends' accusations and God's silence, Job maintained his integrity and the Lord ultimately vindicated him. The foundation of Job's character was the fact that he feared God and shunned evil. Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is, wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding, Job later said in chapter 28 of this book. To fear the Lord means to respect who he is, what he is. And what he does. It is not the cringing fear of a slave before a master, but the loving reverence of a child before a father, a respect that leads to obedience. The remarkable thing about fearing God, said Oswald Chambers, is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, So one of the first things I want us to see today as we talk about the thing of being prepared for what lies ahead is this question that was put before us right up front with Job, which is what is his character? What is my character? What is your character? Are we people who love God, who revere God, and who shun evil? Because you see, having a, a character, like this, prepares you and me for what lies ahead. Because again, we never know what a day will bring, do we? And so in order to be prepared for what lies ahead, we have to first be people of of character. We have to be people who love God, who revere God, who respect God. And it's out of that, that a response will be born in the face of adversity. Because you see, our response in the face of adversity really reveals who we are, reveals what sort we are, what is the makeup of our being. And then we find that with Job, in addition to his character, uh, seven sons and three daughters were born to him. God blessed him with a wonderful family. And then we're told about his possessions there in verse 3 and uh, how immense his wealth was and how wonderful it was that God blessed him with all of these things. And from the world's standpoint in that day, there was no one greater or more wealthy than Job himself. And then we find out in verse 4, and his sons would go in and feast in their houses. So now we're we're being brought into the story at a point in Job's life when his family is grown, they're maturing, and now they have their own houses, their own families. And so we're brought into a point in Job's life, and if you think about where he is in his life, he's probably in his 60s or maybe his 70s when this happens. So this is the point in life where we're, we're, we're being brought in. The, the camera pans in on this 70-year-old this man with this family, and we're being shown what this family looks like, what his character looks like, what his life looks like. And so it was in verse 5 when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. What an amazing person Job was. Not only was he a man of great moral Not only was he a man who loved and feared God, but he loved and he feared God so much that his love for his family uh, was not misplaced. His love for his family was not, you know, out of place in the sense of so often today uh, we can fall into the trap of idolizing our family. He knew. That the most important thing that he could pass along to his family was that same fear of God that he had, and so, when his kids would do these things, when they would have their their gatherings or or whatever, uh, he would send and sanctify them. Can you imagine? You know, you're, you're now you know an adult child. You're off with your own family, and you get a word from your father, a telegram or some kind of word or a letter that says, "Hey, praying for you." lifting you up before God today. And I, I suspect that's the kind of thing that Job said when it says that he would sanctify them. And then it, of course, says that he would offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. So there was already an understanding at this point in history of the need for a sacrificial offering for sin. And I love Job's attitude here. It may be, it's possible, I don't know, that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, and thus Job did regularly. I love how Job interceded for his family and how he prayed for them and how his constant prayer was, God, it might be that they've turned in their heart uh, against you and they've said something against you, and I'm just praying, God, that you would forgive them. I'm, I'm praying, God, that if they've done such a thing, that they would turn their hearts back to you And I'm just praying, God, that you would keep your hand of blessing upon them. And you can just hear, can't you, the prayer of Job as he prays for his family. And it says, thus Job did regularly. And I think these are all important things for us to understand and building blocks for us to take note of as we think about what lies around the next bend in the road for us, whatever that may be. It could be great blessing, and I pray that it is. But we all know, because we've all lived long enough to know, that adversity comes, doesn't it? Trials come. Difficulties come into our lives. So you see, in order to be prepared for what comes next, this is the kind of people we need to be. So if we're not these kind of people today, how do we become that kind of person? A person like Job, a person like Daniel, who wouldn't compromise himself with the king's delicacies, a person like Nehemiah, who interceded for his people. How do we become a person like that? And I would submit to you that it's formed in the secret place. It's formed in the quiet before God. It's cultivated in our time alone with the Lord. But one of the things I find most interesting here about Job is how he thinks. And if we ever want to learn and grow it's not just a matter of behavior. You realize behavior comes out of what we believe. It comes out of what we think. And whenever I'm trying to learn from someone, or you know, perhaps if you go to uh, university, you go to school, uh, you take seminars, you're trying to progress in your career, get certifications, all those kinds of things, the issue is learning how to think. Because th- the point of raising our kids and training our kids up is teaching them how to think, right? Teaching them how to have good judgment. And so the issue of how a person thinks is of utmost importance to us. I know when I sit with people in counseling and I start to listen to the problem and the issues and I just kind of listen and take it all in, what becomes very apparent as you listen is how they are thinking about things, what their perspective is. And so how is Job thinking about these things? He's thinking, what if my kids have offended God? What do I do about that? I pray for them. That's what he does. He prays for them. So how we think affects how we act. It affects how we live. So how is how you think formed? How is what you think um, based, what is it based upon? Is it based upon your circumstances? Is it based upon what others think or say? Do you live in fear of other people's opinions? Or do we care most about what God thinks of us, about who he says we are and of what he thinks of us? There's so many places in the scriptures to go to that tell us what God thinks of of who we are, but here's one of the most wonderful and blessed ones found in Psalm 139, beginning in verse 13. This is what God thinks of you, so this morning before I read this to you, if you struggle with your self-image, if you struggle with what does God think of me, if you struggle with guilt and those kinds of things, I hope and pray that you will receive this word of the Lord as for you. Here's what it says in Psalm 139, for you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, and your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. This is what God thinks of us. And as I mentioned, there's so many other places that tell us what God thinks of us. But what God thinks of us should be the basis for the formation of how we think of ourselves and of how we think ourselves. Now, as we put a comma there and we go to verse 6, we now move from the earthly realm or the physical realm to the spiritual realm or the heavenly realm. And as we go there, we find out that Job is unaware of what's happening in this realm. You know, and we have a New Testament version of this. It's found in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And we are told there in that passage of Scripture by the Apostle Paul that we do not war against flesh and blood, but against the unseen reality of principalities and spiritual beings in heavenly places. And so now here in Job chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, we have an insight into what's happening in the spiritual realm. So we, we learn about Job. Now the camera cuts to the heavenly scene, and here's what's happening. Now there was a day when the sons of God, and that is a term used to refer to the angels, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth a blameless and upright man one who fears God and shuns evil now when God is there speaking to Satan and he's saying have you considered my servant Job every time i read this it just it's frightening right to think that God would say that to Satan and This raises a lot of questions, I think, in people's minds. Why didn't God protect Satan? Excuse me, protect Job from Satan? Why didn't God keep that hedge about him that Satan's going to accuse him of, of having about him? Well, He didn't just bring up Job's name to Satan. Satan. He says, "Have you considered my servant Job?" That word means to scrutinize. It means to look at very closely. Almost like a military general might uh, assess his enemy and study the city and and the lay of the land before he forms his battle plan and uh, goes into battle. So uh, God is not saying to Job just, have you thought about this guy? He's saying, have you scrutinized him? Do you have a battle plan about how you're going to defeat my servant Job? And you hear God really expressing a confidence in a man. And that is like, wow, God, you're that confident in Job's character. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? And so what do we learn here? We learn about the character of Satan. The word Satan means accuser. And we know that he is called in the New Testament the accuser of the brethren. So here he is accusing Job before God. And he says, have you not made a hedge around him and around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. So Job is now accusing, excuse me, Satan is now accusing Job before the very throne of God. And he's essentially saying here in verse 10, the reason Job loves you. The reason Job of you is very shallow it's only predicated upon blessing that's the only reason he loves you but if you will stretch out your hand verse 11 and touch all that he has surely he will curse you to your face in other words God he's not really this man of character that you think he is now listen how Satan is standing before God accusing Job And so Satan is now really trying to entice or tempt God to harm Job. I mean, think about what he's doing here. He's before the throne of God, trying to tempt God to harm one of his servants. And the Lord said to Satan in verse 12, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. I think ultimately this is what Satan was after. And if you have never considered this, let me say this, Satan is a terrorist. And he's out to destroy, to kill, to to do what he can to bring people down. And I think as we're going to see in a moment, Satan is after destruction. Satan wants to tear down. And so the Lord gave Satan a certain latitude here, didn't he? To go out and to, to hammer Job persecute him so in verse 13 we find out that there was this day it was an opportune day when the sons and the daughters were eating and drinking in their oldest brother's house um, and a messenger came so there's four messengers who come now before we even get into this I just want you to consider for a moment when something happens when bad news comes when there is adversity that enters our lives This all prepares us for that moment. And God wants us to be prepared. God wants us to be strong in him. He wants us to love him. He wants us to fear him. Because that that integrity, that character that's in our lives will prepare us for the next thing ahead. Now whether God chooses to bless us in an immense way, or whether he chooses to allow some testing to come into our lives as he does here for Job, he wants us to be prepared. So how, did, how was Job prepared? How can anyone really prepare for the kind of onslaught that Job is about to face? And I would say to you, it's by being in the secret place, by having your character forged in your prayer closet in your time with God, and then allowing that character to be displayed over a long period of time. So this messenger comes in verse 14. Job and says, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabaeans, these raiders, these marauders came and they took them away. And indeed they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. That one thing alone would be enough. There's a part of your household that fell. Someone came in and stole your stuff and they killed your servants. They were evil people they came and they did this thing to you, Job. And I tried to think about these things and, and how would these things compare to different things in our lives today, and I don't know that there's really a parallel, but think about things that happen to people today. Well, someone stole your identity. They wiped out your bank account. Well, what about the next one? A second messenger comes while he's considering these things, and he says, while he was still speaking... Another messenger also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven, and we assume this is either lightning or something like that, and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So you see his, his livestock, his wealth is being attacked. His lifestyle is being attacked. And then this third messenger comes while that one, the second one was still speaking, and you kind of get the idea. The first messenger came in, brings this word to Job, and while he's finishing, the second one comes in, and so the first one is standing there listening to the second one, and while the second one is finishing, and the first one's standing there, a third one comes in, and he says, while he was still speaking, another came also and said, the the Chaldeans uh, formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, at this point, you're kind of like, wow, what is going on? What is happening here? And while that's happening, a fourth messenger comes. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came. So this natural disaster, this catastrophe came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So Satan wasn't just given permit permission to attack Job's wealth but his very family. And I can't even imagine losing one child but to have your entire family wiped out in one moment by one tragedy. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with just this madness? It's like, okay, there was identity theft, and on your way home from getting that news, you find out that your house burned down. And while you find out that your house burned down, you find out that your family was killed in a tragic car accident. And all this happens on one day within a span of a couple of hours of one another. I mean, this is some of the most horrible things that could ever happen to people on the face of the earth. But the focus is on Job and on his response, right? Look at verse 20. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshiped. Wow. Most of us, and I'm sure Job, of course, was broken. I'm sure he was weeping. How could you not? Then Job arose, tore his Consecrated himself before God. These are the things a priest would do. This is something you would do when you enter a time of mourning or when you're consecrating yourselves. And notice his response here. You can't teach this to someone. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What prepared Job for that kind of response in that moment? It was the character. It was the time of forging in his relationship with God. And not to negate the tragedy and the horrendous nature of all these things that happened to him, but Job in that moment demonstrated who he was. You see, he was prepared for what was around the next bend. He was prepared for what was next in his life even though it was the the worst, the most horrible sort of tragedy, and he demonstrated his response and his character by bowing down, by worshiping God, and saying the things that he said here, everything I have has come from God's hand. My wealth, my possessions, my family, everything, the Lord has given it to me, and the Lord has decided to be the name of the Lord. Later in Job chapter 13 he says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And then the next verse after that he says, he also shall be my salvation. You see, this is who Job is. How do we prepare for the next thing in our lives, whatever that may be? I submit to you it's by Adopting this kind of an attitude. It's by having that kind of character. It's by allowing God and the little trials that come our way to forge us into the person that he wants us to be. So that when the big things come, we can respond like Job. We can understand and relate and realize that everything that we have comes from the hand of God. And if God has given it, God is free to take it away if he so desires to do in the face of tragedy or adversity. And in verse 22 of chapter 1, it says, In all this, Job did not charge God with wrong. Job didn't look at God and shake his fist. And notice here there is no indication from anything that we have read or studied so far That says Job ever went to the place of the why question. And isn't that where we always tend to go? When something happens, God, why? Why have you allowed this to happen to me? What's your purpose? What's your plan? I want to know right now. But Job didn't go there. He didn't even ask God the question, why? Because I submit to you, even though the word is not used, that Job had an understanding of God's sovereignty, meaning that God is free to do whatever he wants to do. Turn over to chapter 2, or just read down a little further in the same paragraph. So we see the scene somewhat repeated here that was repeated that we saw in chapter 1. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan also came, and the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. And again, the Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth. A blameless and an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and he still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without a cause. You see, God recognized what Satan tried to do in chapter one where Satan came and tried to incite God against Job. And he said, you know, God, he only loves you because of the blessing. He doesn't love the blesser. He loves the blessing. Take away the blessing, he'll curse you, guaranteed. Let me have Adam God, I'll prove it to you. And so God gave him the opportunity. And God's now saying, he's sort of bragging on his boy a little bit in the heavenly realm here, and he says, he still holds fast to his integrity although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, for surely he will curse you to your face. In other words, he's saying, okay, so maybe it wasn't the blessing, maybe it wasn't the wealth, maybe it wasn't even his family. But he says, Lord, if you touch his body, give him the worst kind of physical affliction, he'll curse you, God. We just didn't find the right combination, but if you, if you touch his bone and his flesh, that'll do it. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. Wow. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Couldn't even walk. Boils on, on his feet. He can't walk. And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. So Job is sitting there, reduced to a shell of a man. Everything's been taken away from him in the most horrible way. The worst possible scenario you can dream up. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, people, I think, have given Job's wife a bad rap. Ladies, which of you sitting here, having gone through this, could sit there w- without any, I mean, you're watching, you've watched this happen. Everything has been taken away from you. It's just you and your husband left. I, I think she was in deep pain. She was in deep grief. And she reached that point that so often people reach when adversity begins to take its toll on us. And so her response is not surprising. And I don't think we should hang her out to dry or say, you know, she's a bad person because she responded this way. You see, the adversity is revealing what's in our heart. Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Just be done with this. Why deal with this? Just end it. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? Man, you ought to underline that verse. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. What an amazing testimony. Now when Job's three friends heard, they came, They raised their eyes from afar, and they did not recognize him. So this event, this experience, this turmoil, this tragedy, and now the physical affliction had taken such a toll on Job physically that even his friends did not recognize him when they came to him. And they lifted their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. And so they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word, for they saw that his grief was very great. How do we prepare for what's ahead? It's character. It's formed in the secret place with God. You see, we can consider what Job went through and we can be a little down and despondent and depressed because certainly what he went through was horrible and I would encourage you to read the rest of the book and you know from here to about chapter 40 or 42 in the book is Job's friends being with him and the comfort they attempt to bring to him but of course their comfort is is poor at best and then they begin to sort of incite Job and say well obviously Job this happened to you because you did something. There must be some sin in your life. Just let us know what it is. Just confess it and get it out, and maybe God will heal you. And Job, as, as they go through this interaction for the you know, 40 or so chapters, there's this back and forth, and Job says, listen, man, I didn't do anything. I've examined myself. I can't even think of anything. I don't know what it is. But when you get to the end of the book, find God sitting down with Job, and he said, and Job finally comes to the place where he says something to God, where he finally questions God just a little, and God says to him, okay, Job, let me just sort of set the record straight for who I am, and then God lays out his sovereignty as has never been laid out anywhere else in the scriptures in, in quite such a way. And as he does that, we find out at the end of Job's life, that God restores everything to him tenfold. And he gets a whole nother family. Not that God can replace those whom he loved previously and lost. But God took him through this dark night of the soul. And God walked with him through it. And I believe, if I have, if I remember correctly, at the end it says that Job lived to about 140. So Job lived a whole nother life after this thing happened to him, and God restored everything to him. But as we think about Job, I want to just maybe focus for a moment on the Apostle Paul because similar things happened to him, although they weren't exactly the same as Job's tragedy. So just listen to this if you want to write it down. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But this is the Apostle Paul speaking about how he dealt with adversity in his life. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, and in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep, For all the churches. But this same apostle Paul is the one who said, We are struck down but not destroyed. You see, God brings these things, He allows these things to come into our lives. But when God allows these things to come into our lives, what do we do with them? How do we handle them? You see, Job worst thing we can ever imagine a person going through. The Apostle Paul, in like manner, went through very, very hard and difficult and stressful things. But I keep coming back to this one thing, a man who was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. You see, if we want to be prepared for the new year, if we want to be prepared for what's around the next corner, around the next bend in our lives, and of course we all want blessing, we all want the good things. We all believe the best is yet to come, and those are good things. But what if something like these things happen? What if things come into our lives that bring tragedy or adversity or bring challenge? What do we do? And I submit to you, it's, it's, it's what's been told to us through the scriptures the whole time we've been studying them together as a church. It's love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. You see, we prepare whether it's good or evil, whether it's blessing or tragedy, we prepare by loving God and by allowing him to love us so that when we get into those moments, when we have those challenges, we do what Job did. We fall to our knees. If necessary, we shave our head and we worship God. And in everything that happens, we don't turn to God and, curse him and say, God, why me? And we don't shake our fist at him. And even if we do that, now listen, even if we do that like Job's wife, God still has forgiveness. God understands that we are weak. Psalm 8, you know, what is man that you are mindful of him? For God knows that we are but dust. And when we go through these things, God allows our character and our nature and what's in our heart to come out. And I've often viewed the side effect of tragedy and adversity sort of like on a medical level when we have a sore, you know, and then a head develops and there's this this ugly pussy thing that happens and eventually it, it just has to come out and it's nasty. But once the poison comes out, then the healing can begin. And God wants to take us through those things so that we can be healthy and whole see when Jesus bore our sins upon the cross he did so so that by his wounds Isaiah tells us we would be healed by his stripes we would be healed and all of the vileness all of the evil all of the blackness of sin on that day in Judea when Jesus was crucified there on that cross was poured out the wrath against all unrighteousness was poured out on Jesus that day. And you see, even if I don't respond like Job, even if I fail miserably in the test that God has brought into my life, I fall back on Jesus. How do I prepare? I cling to the cross. I walk with Jesus. I get up every day and I say, Lord, I'm a weak man. You know, I want my character to be like Job. I want my character to be like Daniel. I want it to be like the apostles. I want it to be like Nehemiah. But I'm not there yet. I'm a person who's in process. And see, I think the greatest thing that God can give us is preparation for what lies ahead. I can remember in my sort of my standard uh, template for funerals, I, I say to people, because often many people sitting there listening, uh, you know, don't know Christ. I call into question the eternal nature of man. And I bring it forward. And I say, what do we do? How do we prepare for eternity? The only way I know to prepare for eternity is by the blood of Jesus Christ. He is the one who has given us an eternal solution to an eternal problem. The eternal problem is sin, the I can only walk forward in fellowship with Jesus. And so I want to be prepared. I want you to be prepared. Rather than giving a teaching a man, rather than giving a person a fish, I want to teach a man how to fish. I want to prepare my kids. I want to prepare my family. I want to prepare the church for what lies ahead. What lies ahead? I don't know. I can't prognosticate that. And God's not going to. But when the test comes, when the trials come, when the storms come, and they will, it will reveal of what sort we are. And when we fail, like Peter failed when he denied Christ, and I think in some respects he was surprised, right? Because a few hours earlier he said, Lord, these blokes, these will fail you, but I never will. Lord, I'm with you. I'm your man. And all it took was a servant girl coming oh, no, not me, lying in her face to protect who he was. And what he went through was much less than what Job went through, right? It was mild persecution, to say the least, and yet he failed. And you see, God doesn't want us to fail. He wants us to pass. I love what Pastor John Corson said many years ago, and it's always stuck with me. He said, God doesn't give us a pass fail test." Give us, he gives us tests that are past past we get to keep taking the test until we pass That's the kind of God that he is until we learn the lesson until we understand that everything is in Jesus Jesus is our only hope and just like when Peter got out of that boat that day on the ocean in the storm and he said Lord if it's you bid me to come to you and he says yes come and Peter took that step and then he began to sink because he he allowed fear to enter his heart. Fear of the storm and fear of what might happen to him if he failed and if he sunk. But Jesus took his hand as he was sinking and Peter yelled out, Lord, help me. I have that underlined in my Bible because that's my prayer most of the time. Lord, help me. And if we will learn to do that 24-7, if we will learn to cry out to him in the night seasons when we wake up in the middle of the night, if we will learn to press into the Lord, then God will strengthen us. God will prepare us for what lies ahead. And he will make us strong. Not strong in ourselves, not persons of high moral fiber, but people who are strong in the Lord. The scriptures always tell us, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty strength. You see, God wants to prepare us for that. what may yet come. Be strong in the Lord. Let him encourage you. Let him be the lifter of your head. I lift my eyes toward the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. So we can't do anything apart from God. Jesus said as much in John 15. Apart from me, you can Unless you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can't live, you can't survive. You see, we can't survive apart from the Lord. And the second we think we can, the second we think we can do it on our own, we will fail. But when we reach out and take his hand, when we place our faith and our trust in him, he'll bless us. And we'll realize, like Job, sitting in the ash heap, scraping the boils and the sores, in that moment, God is all I You see, that's what Satan wanted to test, wasn't it, ultimately? Are we here because of the blessing, or are we here because of the blesser? And I hope we're here because of the blesser. I hope we're here because of him. Amen. Lord, we do love you this morning. We bless you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for ministering to us. Lord, prepare us for the days ahead by making us strong in you. And by helping us to trust you. And Lord, even though we may have failed. Even though when the difficulties have come. Maybe we've already done and said things. Maybe we've cursed God. As Job prayed for his sons that they wouldn't. Or or as his wife (laughs) tried to encourage him to do. Because she was in so much pain. Lord, even if we've done that. Thank you for your grace and for your mercy. May we walk into this new year bold and full of faith, because is anything too great for? Said in the Psalms that you have never allowed your people to, to perish or to beg bread, that you've always been there for them and with them, and even when people have been persecuted, you've stood with them and you've led them into the kingdom. And so, Lord, we want to be close to you, we want to be with you, we want to be near to you, because the may we be people of integrity, may we be people of faith, may we be people who love you more than we love anyone or anything, and may you take us to to heights and even to depths that we have not previously known, so that we might grow closer to you, so that we might become we stand and sing.